Thank you for choosing OECD Podcast. Hello and welcome to OECD Podcasts. I'm Clara Young and I'm here today with John Romer, who is the Elizabeth S. and A. Varig Stout Professor of Political Science and Economics at Yale University. John is also a political philosopher, a socialist, and the co-author of Sustainability for a Warming Planet, which came out in 2015. So thank you for being with us, Professor Romer. Nice to be here. Now, a couple of weeks ago, the UN's International Scientific Body on Climate Change released a shocking report called Global Warming of 1.5 Degrees Celsius. In a nutshell, the study says it's simply too dangerous for the planet to limit ourselves to just a two degrees Celsius temperature rise from pre-industrial levels. This was the baseline for the Paris Agreement of 2015. Instead, we should be aiming for a 1.5 degrees Celsius increase in temperature from pre-industrial levels. To do that requires radical changes. We have to cut CO2 emissions by 45% from 2010 levels by 2030. This means that our target is to emit about 17 gigatons of CO2 by 2030. And just so we're clear about what that really means, last year, by comparison, we emitted 32.5 gigatons. So, John, technologically, we have our work cut out for us. What does this mean for us politically and economically? I think the technological question and the question of the physics don't require things of us that are impossible. The main constraint in saving the planet from excessive temperature increases and all the climate changes that, that will entail and the tremendous harms to human life and other, life of other species, uh, the main problem is getting political agreement among countries on how to limit carbon emissions, both globally and within their own countries. So we actually have technology that can accomplish an awful lot. The problem is getting cooperation among nations. Why? Well, all nations would like, all citizens of the world would like to have a decent climate. So as far as they're concerned, the total amount of emissions, which are very closely related to global temperature increases, are something that they would like to hold back on. They would like global emissions to be low. But on the other hand, each country has a personal interest in allowing its own emissions to be high because the more it can emit, the more energy it can use, the more coal it can burn, and the more goods it can produce for export or consumption or investment. Just that's, general higher standard yeah, of living. That's the conflict. So the conflict is everybody would like the total emissions to be low, but they'd also like their own emissions to be high. Well, that's obviously impossible. So you have to get agreement among countries to cooperate to control their own emissions. And uh, so far, there's been insufficient cooperation. The most successful meeting was in 2015 in Paris, uh, in which countries did make uh, voluntary expressions of commitment of limitations they would make on their own uh, carbon emissions in the next years, but they're grossly insufficient to realize the limit that the IPCC now has said we must aim at, namely a limit that would entail increase of global temperature by no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius uh, over pre-industrial levels, temperature levels. So 
There are a number of proposals about how countries might realize an agreement. The proposal that we have recently come up with, my colleague and I, uh, Professor Yabador, is one which entails cooperation among countries. We think that without engendering cooperation, there's no way to solve this problem. Can't solve it by countries competing with each other. And the Paris meeting was important because it was the first step in uh, in global cooperation. Uh, something like 190 countries agreed uh, in principle to limit their carbon emissions to solve the problem. So can you tell us a little bit about this cooperative model? As I understand it, there's two elements which involve the 195 countries coming to agreement. The first part being that each country must unanimously decide on what is the global supply of carbon emissions. And that's another way of saying what would the carbon budget be, right? That's till, right. Till the global budget. Right. And of course, the carbon budget is still very much under debate. I we hear numbers like 360 gigatons up to 512 gigatons. So, you're saying that all these countries would have to come to an agreement about how much carbon we can emit into the atmosphere and not kill ourselves. The purpose of our model is to design a system in which these decisions will be decentralized to individual countries and the citizenries of individual countries. Uh, that is to say, there won't be a central body which is dictating what the global emission should be. In fact, part of our mechanism is that every region of the world, in our model there are 12 regions for mm -hmm. the sake of simplicity, rather than 190 countries, but the 12 regions of the world would each agree on what the global limit should be. It would be in their interest to agree on that given what the prices that they're facing for carbon. So briefly how the model when works. When you say the prices that they're facing for carbon, meaning the economic cost of climate change, is that what you so mean? So let me be precise about that. Mm -hmm. So each country is presumed to understand the damages that it will suffer from temperature change. Mm -hmm. It's uh, how the damages that it'll suffer from a given total amount of carbon emissions because the global carbon emissions over the next, say, 50 years are going to determine what happens in temperature change over the next 100 years at least. So in our model, every producer of energy emissions, every firm in each country or each region which manufactures goods is going to use energy and is going to emit some carbon it will have to pay, as well as the usual costs of production, it will have to pay a price per ton of carbon that it emits. Where do these revenues go? They go into a central bank or a central clearinghouse. Then what happens is that each country will receive back from the total revenues that are paid by all countries a certain share of the total revenues, which can do with what it wishes. It can use them for consumption, in its own country, it can use them to improve uh, the efficiency with which it emits carbon, that is to say reducing the carbon per unit of GDP that it emits, and so on. So countries make a payment into the fund based upon the amount of carbon that the firms in their countries emit when they're maximizing profits to produce mm -hmm. goods, and they receive back from the fund a share. And these shares are determined as part of the equilibrium of the mechanism. So the three things in the international market, roughly speaking, there'll be 
three prices. There'll be a price for output, there'll be a, a rental price for capital, and there'll be a price per ton emitted of carbon that countries have to pay. And there will also be shares that are announced, which add up to one, one share for each region, which determine how much of the total revenue from the carbon prices that country receives back. Now, about the price per, per ton of uh, carbon emissions, the price is, it generally is around 30 and below, and that is clearly not at all expensive enough to put uh, firms off from polluting. This price mechanism, as well as the share mechanism, how it's divided up afterwards among the 12 zones, these will have to be decided by an international group of economists? Yes, the shares would have to be computed by an international team of economists who know the damage functions for each region, how much damage is caused by the global temperature change for each region. They know the production functions of each region. They know how efficient the firms are. And they know the capital uh, endowments of each region and the labor endowments of each region. And they will compute, as part of the equilibrium, they, have, they compute what the shares would be. And the shares have the following wonderful property, that given what these shares are, when each country has asked the question, given the prices that you see and given the shares you're going to receive, what would you like the global emissions of carbon to be, which of course will determine their damages uh, that they suffer, all countries will agree on what those that should be. So the, the equilibrium shares and prices have the property that they induce unanimous agreement among countries as to what the global emissions should be. And then, of course, the local emissions by your own country are determined by the firms that are just uh, operating in the market to maximize profits, and they have to take account of the fact that they have to pay a cost for every unit of every ton of carbon emitted. So. The two cooperative aspects of the model, as you mentioned, are, first of all, that there'll be unanimous agreement on what the global emissions should be, and secondly, that countries will accept the shares that have been calculated to make this global agreement uh, stick. The price of carbon we get, just you mentioned $30, the price of carbon we get is about $130 a ton. So it's considerably higher. Then, oh, where are you getting the figure of 130 That turns uh, out to be, given, given all the data of the problem, mm -hmm. that turns out to be what the equilibrium price of carbon oh, okay. is. So we actually do have a, have a price. Okay. Over the next, over, I mean, this is the average price of carbon over the next 40 years. Right. I saw the, the number of 707 gigatons. That would be the That's carbon. the total carbon emitted from 2015 to, total, to 2055 in the okay. model. And it turns out that... We did this calculation before the IPCC report came out. It turns out that the 707 gigatons implies an increase in global temperature of 1.5 degrees Celsius. So it's exactly what the IPCC report says the upper limit So if your be. model works, we can make it under the wire then. That's right. We can do it. Now I want to turn to the optimism that the 12 zones can cooperate and come mm -hmm. to a decision about the price and the carbon budget. Um, there are some countries that say, well, the United States, they've used up their quota of uh, emissions. Right. They should just have to buy all their right to, to pollute from now on. Right. 
Well, okay, so the three regions, you can ask, each country is going to have to purchase the permits to emit carbon, and then they're going to get back something from the revenue fund, right, from the global revenue. There are three areas of the world that will net get back more than they put in. They are Africa, India, and other Asian countries. Those three regions will actually gain by this procedure. They'll get back more. All other regions of the world, including the United States, the EU, will pay more into the global fund than they receive back. Right. And the two biggest payers would be the United States and China. That's right. Right. That's right. And the total amount, we have a figure on what the total annual value of this fund would be, that is to say the total annual costs that countries will pay for their carbon emissions, will be about $2.3 trillion. Right. So that's going to be distributed out every year to, to all the regions. This goes completely against classic economic models that each actor is rational and self-serving, you know, the John Stuart Mill. How is this going to work? Okay, so there's a long history in economics of how you treat public goods and public bads. So public goods are goods which, uh, when they're produced, everybody consumes them and gets enjoyment out of them at once. My uh, consumption of this good doesn't affect the amount of it left for other people to consume. Public bad is the same thing, except these are bad goods. They make your welfare lower. So uh, the global temperature change is a public bad. And markets do not typically handle the allocation of public goods and public bads well. Mm -hmm. We lose the efficiency properties that markets are touted for uh, when there are public goods and, or public bads. So there actually is a 100-year-old tradition in economics, beginning with people like Vixell and then Arthur Pigou and Vixell in Scandinavia and in Sweden and Arthur Pigou in Britain in the 1920s, mm-hmm. of how to use, uh, how to create markets which can solve the issue of public goods or public bads, like a carbon market, like a cap-and-trade market, or by taxing the emission of public bads, or by subsidizing the production of public goods. So our model is really a version of these models that come from Vixel and Pigou for finding a way of putting a price on carbon which will have the property that everybody will agree on what the global supply should be of carbon. That's the nice aspect. So I do call it a kind of cooperative economics. It's not traditional uh, market economics with private ownership of of all goods. We will watch this with um, interest and see if there is a climate change um, conference coming up in December. Perhaps we will be talking about Mm -hmm. this then. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank Thank you. you very much, John. Thank you. I'm Clara Young. Thank you for listening to OECD Podcasts. Be sure to listen to our other podcasts on soundcloud.com slash OECD.